I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are... What we've really seen as a financial sector that gotten out of hand. There's much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public... Much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Winston Churchill is alleged to have referred to Afghanistan as the graveyard of empires. As with all myths, there's debate about whether or not he actually said that. But he may have. Being an unabashed booster of the British right to rule the world, he knew about empires and failure. (laughs) Afghanistan is the war almost everybody seems to have forgotten that America is still fighting. That war is now the longest ever fought in U.S. history. People born when it began will be old enough to vote next year. Or they could get deployed to Afghanistan It has taken the lives of nearly 4,000 coalition soldiers, roughly half of whom were U.S. troops. It may be getting very little attention here in America, but the people of Afghanistan and the region have no lack of awareness that there's a war going on. And as one of the boomer generation, I am reminded of America's secret war in Cambodia. Well, it was no secret to the people of Cambodia. For just one small example, on November 24th, most members of Karara's extended family this is somebody in Afghanistan, were killed or wounded when at least one airstrike called in by American forces slammed into their home in a village in Afghanistan's Helmand, Helmand province. Her husband, Obaidullah, and one of his older brothers died, this woman said. Thirteen others were injured. They are among the latest on a growing list of casualties amid an intensifying U.S. air operation aimed at forcing Taliban militants to agree to a peace deal and end to America's longest war. Now, forcing the other side, the one enjoys, that enjoys significant popular support to agree to a peace deal sounds sickly familiar to people my age when Vietnam was America's longest war. And like that tragic endeavor of the 60s and 70s, it is extremely difficult for the country with by far the most powerful and sophisticated military the world has ever seen to even consider defeat by what our guest today refers to as what American commanders must see as a bunch of dudes in bedsheets and flip-flops. How can we lose to them? Well, we're going to discuss today our guest article in Counterpunch titled, Afghanistan is Collapsing. Get out now. We are reaching him in Paris. Brian Coughley is the uh, Cloughley is a former soldier who served in the British and Australian armies. His appointments include deputy head of the UN military mission in Kashmir and Australian defense attache in Pakistan. He spent a total of eight years in the subcontinent and visited Afghanistan then and later. He writes about the subcontinent and updates defense sections on Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India for IAH Jane's, IHS Jane's Information Group. Well, thanks very much for being with us in uh, Paris. You kick off the article by pointing out that November was quite a month in Afghanistan. How so? And how might it be different and unique in this aging war? Uh, I don't think it it was quite unique uh, because, of course, we can't tell uh, exactly how many people get killed each month. But it looked 
in November as if a new high had been reached in savagery and death in Afghanistan. And the bombs still rained down. Uh, we wonder why, why is this still going on? And in November, there weren't only, of course, soldiers killed, far too many of them, but there were very many civilians, as you pointed out in your introduction. And this is not only regrettable, but entirely counterproductive. And we might talk about that later. Yeah, entire, I mean, how, it's not exactly the way to win friends and influence people by killing them. Now, Jane's is a kind of a, as I understand it, if I understand it correctly, is kind of a trade publication of the military weapons industry. So you have some knowledge of the sophistication and power of the U.S. and other forces there. You describe it as an unbelievable and unprecedented capability. Please tell us about the armory and how it could possibly still fail against what is referred to as a bunch of dudes in bedsheets and flip-flops. Tell us about the the military power there. Right. In, in fact, um, I that um, quotation wasn't mine. No, it I know. It came from U.S. Army Colonel David Davis, who oh. is a, a very switched-on commentator uh, on what was happening in Afghanistan. And, of course, I, I agreed with, with every word because some of us, of course, have, have seen this amazing force. I mean, all the time in which um, America has been in conflict, and I, I started off, if you like, uh, in, in Vietnam, when I was with the Australian Army, and and you saw this astonishing amount of kit and equipment and aircraft and dedicated soldiers, and you wondered how on earth they could lose, because they've got everything, as David Davis says, main battle tanks, artillery, mortars, but you wonder who really thought about all this before they committed such things as main battle tanks and artillery? Because when you deploy these heavy weapons, they don't go out on their own. I mean, they look fearsome. They are fearsome. Yeah. Scare the hell out of me. But uh, they require guarding, and that requires more people. And these people are just guarding. They're not going out on the ground and taking on the enemy. And this just compounds itself. Now, this no longer goes on because there aren't the the same number, nothing like there are any tanks left in the place Mm. um, and and such things um, as as rockets, Uh, ground-firing rockets, for example. Um, but they were there for a long time and didn't achieve anything. And we need to win the hearts and minds. There's no question about that. That great movie about Vietnam that I'm sure you've seen. Well, that, 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 that's where it starts. And yes, it is important. Uh, in fact, it's vital. Yeah. Because 
you mount an airstrike and you kill a senior Taliban, as gets reported in the newspapers every other day. Well, not, <clears throat> of course, the Western newspapers, <laughs> but the um, uh, Afghan, Pakistan newspapers. Um, and the authorities say, yes, they killed some Taliban. But who else did they kill? If they killed civilians, the whole advantage of taking out Taliban leaders right. is negated right. because you're creating more people who hate you. And in this year, from January to October, the United States uh, dropped more ordnance uh, in Afghanistan. There's almost 6,000 munitions of, of various sorts um, on targets all over the country. What did this achieve? Right. I don't know. You see, a year ago, um, it was uh, said by uh, General Nicholson, as the top military commander, <clears throat> he said, I'm going to, or we are going to, unleash, and I quote, a tidal wave of air power meant to overwhelm the Taliban. This is the beginning of the end for the Taliban. Mm. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> it isn't. And they're still fighting. And of course, you've got to ask why. Yes, why? <laughs> you write that NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg was visiting foreign troops in Herat in Afghanistan. The following day, 17 soldiers were killed along with eight policemen, and that he explained to foreign soldiers why they were in Afghanistan. What did he say to the troops about why they should feel good that they are in harm's way in Afghanistan? Well, I've had the odd comment about this <clears throat> Close to uh, close to the heart, as it were, and he said, "You have to remember that you're in Afghanistan because NATO is in Afghanistan to make sure that Afghanistan never again becomes a safe haven for international terrorism." And in fact, on Monday last. Um, he, he was speaking in uh, NATO headquarters in Brussels. And he said again, um, we must continue to ensure that the country, that Afghanistan, never again becomes a safe haven for international terrorists. Over the past months, we have stepped up our support with more forces and funding. And what has that achieved? It's achieved a lot of bombing. Mm -hmm. um, but... Is it really stopping people um, becoming terrorists? It, it seems to me that it's rather encouraging people yes. to become terrorists. If your definition of terrorist, right. of course, is a person who is fighting against foreigners occupying his country. And I can't help but be reminded of uh, the German bombing of London, that didn't work. The American bombing of, of North Vietnam, very, very heavy bombing. In both cases, that only stiffened the resolve. I, I, I don't, under, I mean, I'm, 
I'm not a military technician, but I just I don't I don't see it working. And I was wondering, you know, in, in historical comparisons, if the Kabul government, the government that we officially recognize as the government of Afghanistan, are there comparisons to the government in Saigon that we set up, which didn't have a lot of popular support? Or is that kind of a stretch? <laughs> it's a very good comparison because they're both totally corrupt. Uh, the, the number of of mansions there are in these wonderful mansion colonies, if you like to call them that, really? in in the Persian Gulf in Dubai, uh, surrounding there, is just amazing. And they're all owned by, well, not all, but very, very many of them, are owned by crooked Afghans who've made our fortune out of the American and, of course, other NATO taxpayers. Um, It it is bizarre, the, uh, the level of corruption in Afghanistan, as has been noted, of course, by um, Mr. John Sopko, the, the um, Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, who produces excellent reports and is um, about the only person who speaks the complete truth um, in official circles about Afghanistan. The government in Saigon um, when I was in Vietnam, we just joked about it. Of course. Um, the wife of our province chief in, in Vietnam used to go off to Paris to do her shopping. Came back some beautiful dresses, I have to say. Um, Sorry for laughing. Really, the uh, knowledge that his salary wouldn't have paid for a, a one-way airfare, a third class, oh, um, didn't appear to enter anyone's mind. So the, 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 the comparisons are there. It's not just corruption, of course. It's, it's sheer ineffectiveness. They can't do anything. Well, the title of your article, and if you just tuned in, we're talking with uh, Brian Cleffley in Paris, who has written an article in Counterpunch titled, Afghanistan is Collapsing, Get Out Now. Okay, why now? And what happens? I mean, I remember during Vietnam, well, we can't pull out now. we got to protect our troops or whatever. Why Why now? And, and what happens if we pull out now? Will the Taliban oh, talk no. with us? Let's, let's take that, that most unpleasant piece first. What happens? Yes. If there is a pullout, I am afraid there will be war, as there is at the moment, of course, but escalating war uh, between the Taliban um, and the government forces, many of whom are extremely brave and dedicated young men. Um, And the Taliban just want to take over the country again. They held the, the, the government before the, the U.S. invasion of 2001, um, and they want to take it over again. Now, anyone who believes in the Taliban um, really should go off and see uh, a counselor somewhere. 
because they are brutal, evil, disgusting mob of barbarians. Mm. But, but they are Afghan barbarians. Mm -hmm. They are Afghans. An awful lot of them aren't actually Taliban. They wouldn't know the word. Mm. They are what we used to call freedom fighters mm -hmm. and are now, of course, called, um, called terrorists. Well, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. It does depend <laughs> on your point of view, for sure. What, what about, you know, we talked a little bit about hearts and minds. There is the government in Kabul, and it's a big geographical country. How Are they really governed by Kabul? Are they governed by warlords? What What is the reality, the political reality? And well, you, 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 You've just said it, they're governed by warlords. Uh, yesterday, for example, uh, in Kabul, there was an exchange of fire between the police and uh, what the uh, Afghan press um, the newspapers called very coyly um, men belonging to an important person. In other words, his, his, his private army. And they obviously disagreed about something. I don't know the, the full story. But when you get that sort of thing going on, you wonder what on earth the country's like there. And what it is like is warlords. Um, in the north, especially, there are um, countless scores of warlords. Some of them ha have been um, CIA assets uh -huh. in, in the past. <laughs> Some may still be. I don't know. Um, but they're all extremely well armed. Mm -hmm. um, they get most of their weapons, of course, um, illegally yeah. oh, sure. from the Afghan Defence Forces, either sold to them or um, passed on by the by the Taliban. In the further south, you don't have warlords. You've got Taliban running um, running areas, districts. Um, you know, the U.S. military data says that the Taliban hold, I'm quoting, more territory than at any other time since 2002. Mm -hmm. So I'm afraid, to answer your question, um, it is going to be a disgusting and bloody shambles. Mm. But what is going to happen if the foreign troops stay? Yes. It's just going to be not as catastrophic an instant uh, a shambles, but it's just going to carry on. And it doesn't weaken the other side at all. I wonder about the idea of of talks. I mean, in, in Vietnam, ah. the, the Vietnam, you know, the, the National Liberation Front offered to talk in 68, and we, we the Americans, would have gotten a better deal had we you know, agreed to some negotiations then. Is is that is it possible to, I mean, just pulling out entirely and leaving these barbarians, that's not an attractive scenario. What, what well, it's you... an appalling scenario. And, and you, when you think of the innocent people who would die, oh, yeah. you, 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 you cringe. Uh, and, but yes, talks. Well, the Taliban are saying, we don't want to talk to the Americans. Right. They're in a position we, of power. That's their official line. But, of course, there isn't one single Taliban right. leader. Of course. But 
let, let, let's take their, their line for the moment as being a combined line. And um, they say, we, we, we want to talk to the Afghan government. Now, behind the scenes, the Pakistanis have been working for a very long time to achieve this, but have been thwarted because um, US-NATO um, have insisted that um, the talks be arranged with their participation. Um, they should just stay out of it because the Taliban ain't going to talk to them. What about, I mean, you know, everything is, is geopolitical. Uh, you know, uh, Afghanistan, of course, was the focus of the great game between Russia and England for a very, very long time. It's a very poor country, but where it is, there's Pakistan, there's India. What happens if, just say, we get up and leave? How does that exacerbate or even make things better, perhaps, between India and Pakistan? What's the effect ah, on that? Yes, well, of course, it, it, it's a, a source of deep disagreement between Pakistan and India. Sure. Um, mind you, if Pakistan says black, India says white, and <laughs> vice versa, of course. Um, so uh, it's just another uh, <clears throat> point of disagreement. The trouble is, it's an extremely serious one. Yeah. Now, look, if, if the place developed into chaos, I think that Pakistan would go on one side of whoever uh -huh. uh, was fighting. I don't know which side. Right. But I have my suspicions. And I think that they would um, attempt to have a, um, a military solution um, mm -hmm. with the majority of who wanted to govern in Afghanistan. Uh -huh. Forget democracy. Forget <laughs> democracy. Yeah, right. But they would. Uh, they they would uh, do that. Pakistan would go probably with the the winning side. That's 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 my theory. I have got nothing to base that on. So what happens? I mean, there was all that again. Vietnam, and we have steadfastly refused to learn obvious lessons from Vietnam. The U.S. standing in the world, people were concerned that, oh, if we lose Vietnam, what happens to American leadership in the world? Well, <laughs> what, what happens if we lose, we lose Afghanistan, as if it was ours to lose in the beginning? But what, what happens to the U.S. Uh, position? I don't think it alters a bit. There'd be a great deal of yawning around the world. <laughs> Afghanistan's fall off the map. <laughs> Uh, and there would be a certain amount of laughter. Oh, of course there would be rejoicing. Oh, these bloody Yanks, they, uh, you know, they, they've lost another one. But so what? That, that, that's not going to alter trade. It's not going to alter movement. It's not, it's not going to alter anything. Um, so oh, why not? Just get on with it. Get out. Oh, my goodness. So... Is is there any kind of a win possible? Is there any way anything could be painted as a win by the NATO forces? Do you want a succinct answer to that? <laughs> I think I know what it is. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So, and and you know the whole the the what's the Taliban now? 
back when the Russians, the Soviets, I should say, occupied the country in the late 80s, and then they get kicked out. They get kicked out largely by the help of American weapons supporting the Mujahideen. I, I wonder, and then the weapons you're talking about that are all over the place, I'm guessing that my tax dollars help pay for the weapons that are in the hands of, of the Taliban to a, a large extent. What is the... Oh, sure. What, what's the, Sorry, come on. No, no, what's the, the role of the U.S. in creating this problem in the first place? Oh, it, it's, it's immense. Um, I left the area in 82 oh. and didn't go back to stay there until 88. But uh, in the meantime, President Zia, General Zia Haq of Pakistan, uh-huh. invited me to um, come to Pakistan for a visit and to travel in what was then called the Northwest Frontier Province. It's now called Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, the place abutting Afghanistan. And I did that. Uh, it was very kind of him. I looked after extremely well. And I met um, seven, no, I met six of the seven main uh, mujahideen uh, elements. Call them elements, call them groups, call them gangs, really. Um of uh, so-called freedom fighters, what we would now call, of course, terrorists. Right, right. Uh, they were called freedom fighters because they were fighting the Russians mm-hmm. uh, for their, to get them out of their country. Uh, they were provided with an immense amount of equipment, including Stinger missiles, uh, yes, uh, missiles, which I was uh, involved later in recovering some of them in the early 1990s. Wow. Um, because there were hundreds of the thing, oh and everyone was panicking that they'd be used to shoot down American aircraft. Um, Say so the uh, the amount of uh, assistance given by the um, by America officially mm-hmm. uh, to the Mujahideen was was it was just colossal. Yeah. I mean, the, the the defense attaches used to go along to the the airport um, in. Islamabad, uh, Rolpindi, Pakistan, and um, look at all the, at about three or four in the morning, and look at all, all the C-130s arriving, packed full of goodies, and then the army trucks would take them up to the frontier, and they'd be distributed to these seven gangs of ho-ho-ho freedom fighters. <laughs> I laugh, but it's it's terrible. It's tragic, and we are paying the price, and so many Afghanis are paying the price. And uh, it's good to hear that if and when we pull out, the world will react with a big yawn. Who cares? That's that's kind of reassuring, I have to say. So if people are interested in, in following uh, your work, your writing, uh, Brian Cluffley, uh, follow Counterpunch, or is there other ways? Oh, I I, I don't write all that much. There's uh-huh. a whole lot of garbage on Counterpunch and yeah. um, one or two other things around the world, uh, but well, nothing nothing uh, dramatic. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. In the next part of the show, we're actually going to be talking about uh, the Pentagon not keeping track of its money, spending money, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, and gosh, they don't know where it went. <laughs> It fits in perfectly. Thank you so much. Okay, goodbye. Little Afghani music here.
Well, we moved from Afghani music to uh, military expenditures in general. And it's fascinating. We were just talking about how much money was just flowing like water uh, uncontrolled in Afghanistan. And we're going to continue, actually, with the same topic. You know, and it's very essence. The word conservative has to mean not overspending. Politicians calling themselves conservative have for decades railed against a conjured-up picture of welfare queens. And middle America agrees no one is thrilled about paying their taxes and especially wasting our dollars really gets people riled up, except when it comes to Pentagon spending. Then it seems no one dares to even think about questioning the budget for fear of being seen as unpatriotic. I mean, government is there to keep us safe at, at its most basic mission, is it not? Who wants to look soft on the war on terrorism? As with so many local police budget, this is one area of spending we just do not question. But what about the widely accepted and genuinely revered notion of conservatism? Great patriots must not weaken our military. That is understood. But is it possible that through the cynical use of this unquestioned support that fraud may have been committed against the American people? Not just fraudulent welfare checks, but billions, hundreds of billions, even trillions of dollars of public money may have been disappeared through a massive accounting fraud at the Pentagon. Is that possible? Does anyone say it when the emperor has no clothes? A quarter century after Congress ordered the Department of Defense to submit to an independent audit, after two decades of Herculean stalling, the department failed its first ever audit this month. Uh, one whistleblower says they're making up the numbers and then just asking for more money each year. Could it be that regardless of actual military necessity, the Defense Department and its private contractors may have been making serious money just disappear? Well, I'm pleased to have with us to talk about this Dave Lindorf, whose new article in The Nation is titled Exclusive, The Pentagon's Massive Accounting Fraud Exposed. Lindorf finds that a recent congressionally mandated attempt at an audit failed because an unfathomable $21 trillion dollars I can't even think of what a trillion is. $21 trillion of Pentagon transactions between 1998 and 2015 could not be traced, documented, or explained. Yet Congress has thus far shown little interest in investigating this epic scandal. Well, here's with us. Dave Lindorf is an award-winning investigative reporter, a longtime Nation contributor, and you all should be reading The Nation. Lindorf has covered national security and military issues for decades, the author of several books, most recently, The Case for Impeachment. He is also founder of the online newspaper, This Can't Be Happening. Well, thanks for being with us, Dave. 
Thanks for having me. Well, in 1990, Congress passed that law requiring all departments and agencies to submit to annual audits. Sounds reasonable. 28 years later, the accounting firm of Ernst & Young and other private firms were hired to audit the Pentagon, which, as your article points out, receives 54 cents out of every dollar in federal appropriations. In November, Ernst & Young announced that they were unable to complete the job. They couldn't do the audit. You say that had this been a major corporation, it would have likely been a crashed stock at that point. What reasons did they say the audit could not be completed, and what did the Defense Department give as an explanation? Well, actually, they don't give an explanation. They've been saying for years that they can't do an audit because they have these legacy systems in various parts of the the Defense Department, that, and they can't talk to each other. But, you know, if you think about it, they've been saying that since 1990 when we were using K-Pro computers, and they've had this mammoth budget that would have allowed them to buy Watsons, you know, and, and you know, they can do anything. I mean, these, the Watson computer can uh, track the weather, which is probably about as complicated as things can get, and, you know, plot, you know, missile trajectories and keep track of everybody in the country. And they certainly could uh, could have systems by now, a quarter of a century later, uh, after mm. Capro's gone bust and uh, and uh, track all their expenditures. It's a ludicrous claim that they have legacy systems at this point. What, what seems to be clear from the research I did and from the sources I had, which, uh, as people will see if they look at the article, uh, include named sources, um, is uh, that the Pentagon really has not wanted to have an audit and has done its best to make sure that it can't be audited. And that's where these fake numbers come in. Uh, you know, there, there are different arguments about the $21 trillion in, uh, in, that, that appear in various parts of the Pentagon budgets over the course of uh, between um, 1998 and um, 2015, which were researched by a uh, a professor of uh, public finance, Mark Skidmore, in a yeoman effort to look at uh, Office of Inspector General documents reviewing some of the Pentagon budgets. And, uh, you know, he says, uh, and I agree, we can't know what those numbers are. We can't know whether that some of it is real money that is sneaking into the Pentagon or whether, uh, as most of my sources are claiming, the, they are simply fake numbers that are plugged in. And that's a term that the Pentagon uses, plugs, right. for these numbers to just, you know, either try to balance things uh, sometimes or when, when they don't really can't really balance them or to uh, hide what's going on and just make the thing look so uh, absurdly ridiculous that it can't be audited. Uh, and, I, and so, you know, it's, and, and your point about, you know, is Congress saying anything about this? The answer is no, nobody has questioned these enormous uh, outlandish numbers of trillions of dollars. There was one year when there were $11 trillion in, in plugs in the Pentagon budget. Nobody in Congress said, whoa, what are these? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, did Con the year when the, when the, that, that was back when the Pentagon budget was about $400 billion. And so how do you come up with numbers inside that budget that 
uh, tally in the trillions. Unbelievable. Well, before reading your article, I had certainly never heard of plugs or nippering as accounting tricks. What do these words mean? And and how have they worked to supersize an already massive military budget? Plugs <laughs> and nippering. Most of the plugs uh, are put into the uh, the, the not budget, but financial statements, end of year and quarterly financial statements of the Pentagon in a uh, big operation in Indianapolis called the Defense uh, Finance Accounting Service, um, which is a bunch of bookkeepers and accountants who work for the Pentagon, some in uniform, some civilian, uh, who develop all these numbers for the Pentagon. And they, I'm told, simply uh, plug in numbers when they don't have the ledger uh, the ledger documents to support them, oh, the ledger wow. entries. So they, they just put these numbers in. And the, um, you know, when the, when the Office of Inspector General, which only audits uh, like one service a year, or sometimes even not a service, but some other part of the uh, of the defense budget, um, find these numbers, they criticize them. They say, you know, these numbers don't have any uh, supporting documentation, right. and that's where, and it ends right there. Nobody gets called to the carpet, nobody gets fired, nobody gets uh, recommended over to the Justice Department for prosecution, for fraud, or whatever. It just happens, and then the next year it happens, and the next year it happens. In fact, when when uh, I asked one of my sources, uh, who, uh, this this is um, Mark Arms, uh, Jack Armstrong, who was for five years the supervisory director of audits at the inspector general's office, uh, what these plugs were and why uh, he actually wrote in one report that they uh, were that that some of the documents were supported and some were not. He said, "Oh, yeah, but supported didn't mean that they had the ledger documents to support them. It just meant." Uh, to the inspector general's office that they had been signed off properly by superiors. So even superiors were signing off on these absurd numbers that had no ledger support, and then that would be called supported. Um, So basically what you've got is for years and years and years, the Pentagon has created budget documents that are meaningless and that num- includes the numbers that are basically fraudulent. Mm. And then you put that together with what uh, another named source, Asif Khan, uh, at the GAO, who heads the National Security uh, Asset Management Unit of the GAO, monitoring Pentagon spending and bookkeeping, said. He told me that um, it's impossible to audit the Pentagon because of these, uh, of these plugs. Wow. A- absolutely amazing. It, it, it's just, I mean, think of this. I, I've said in the article, think of this, the, that more than half of the discretionary budget of the United States cannot be audited. Audited. We cannot know what the Pentagon does with all the money that goes to it, uh, and we have not been able to know for decades. <laughs> That's mind-boggling to me. I wouldn't call that conservatism. That's not being careful with money. My goodness gracious. I can't imagine anybody else trying to use those those methods, those plugs. What about nippering? Think, what is nippering? 
Nippering, that's a cute, that's a cute one. That one is, uh, a nipper is a uh, tool that snips metal. Uh, and um, so the, the term means that you snip parts of a budget out from that budget and you move it to another budget where it doesn't belong. Um, and what I was told by one source who worked for years in the accounting offices of the Pentagon, nippering is often used to move money um, from several times through the budget into until it gets tucked away in an untraceable place that you can't tell where it came from and what it's used for. And uh, and again, Asif Khan said that he knows that's going on, and it's another problem that that interferes with the ability to audit the budget. So uh, plugs and nippering go together, and what what I'm told is that uh, it's not so much that the Pentagon's getting trillions of secret trillions of secret dollars, uh, which I, for one, think is unlikely, uh, and I can explain why in a minute, sure. uh, but that. Um, they are, by having all these artificial figures for how much the Pentagon is spending submitted to Congress each year for the current year and the prior year, telling Congress, we spent all the money and um, we need more. And so this becomes like an escalator for Congress to keep uh, throwing more money at the Pentagon year after year without any justification. Oh my goodness! But that's my text. By the way, I don't think this is real money. You know that that some people have speculated. Oh my God! There's 21 trillion dollars of secret money uh, flowing uh, to the Pentagon uh, for God knows what purposes. Is that that would be such a incredible amount of um, deficit spending into the economy? I mean, one year it was 11 trillion, and one year it was 6.5 trillion. That kind of money thrown into the economy, even if some of it went abroad and some of it was domestic, we would have never had a uh, 2001 recession or, or the Great Recession because of all that deficit spending. Wow. So I, I don't think it's real money. I think I, I, I trust my sources who are in the Pentagon who are, and, and former Pentagon workers who are telling me that they're made up numbers and ha- that they have a different purpose, which is obscurantist. Unbelievable. Made up numbers. Lots and lots. And like to me, I mean, a trillion is a thousand billion and a billion is a thousand million. That's like, who can even comprehend that? Now, there, there's... Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's another point, Bert, and that is that uh, Asif Khan at the GAO told me, and this, I think this is one of the biggest points in the story uh, that people should pay attention to, is he told me, and I've never read this anywhere in the American media, that... Uh, the Pentagon has for years been uh, on the top of their list at the GAO. Uh, they have a high-risk list for uh, fraud, waste, and abuse, and the Pentagon's been right up there each year. Because of this, you can't track the money. And, of course, when you can't track the money, it's an invitation for uh, for you know epic fraud and abuse and, and uh, profiteering. You know, when, when I, I try to invest conservatively, and, you know, I look to Standard and & Poor's and Moody's to do ratings of how stable, you know, an investment is. <laughs> There's AAA. <laughs> this would be, I well, can't imagine. Those what, turned out to have been frauds, too, back in the, uh, oh, true. Uh, the, uh, the market crash of uh, 2009 eight. Yeah. and eight. We saw that, that Moody's was, uh, and, and Standard and & Poor's were both... Uh, 
you know, faking the, their reports too, oh in order to get the business of these various big companies. Oh, I see. But, so if everybody does it, we shouldn't be worried. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just don't bigger. Trust, don't trust the the rating agencies. They're not. They're not to be trusted either. But. Uh, just, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering, you know, how how the the fraud works. We've heard. Of, I've, I've been actually watching a Netflix show, Ozark, about money laundering, which is kind of interesting. So, laundering and shifts of money, it, it, by law, if money is not spent, it's required to be returned to the U.S. Treasury. How have they done with that? Uh, well, one of the one of the big things apparently that is done at the Pentagon is to. Um, Transfer is to change one-year money, which is money that's supposed to be spent right. for uh, activities at the Pentagon uh, during the year. And if it's not spent, uh, it's supposed to be returned to the Treasury. And instead of returning it to the Treasury, they will uh, reclassify it into or nipper it into um, five-year money, which is the kind of money you spend on things like uh, weapons programs and so on that have you know multi-year budgets. So uh, if you can move it into five-year money, you don't have to return it. So that's where the nippering goes. And theoretically, you know, I'm told that only like uh, one, you know, 1% of a budget line can be nippered, but um, that is not uh, apparently adhered to. Hmm. Now, a few months ago, Congress and I think all Americans were stunned and shocked to learn of the deaths four American soldiers in Niger. How is it that even Congress didn't know about this activity? Is this part of the issue, do you think? Could there be other military operations we don't know about? I mean, CIA is one thing, but military is something else. Yeah, well, I raised that as an example because Congress came out and said, wait a minute, we never were told that that we had special forces troops in Niger, in Niger, and, and uh, that that me, I, I, I have no inside knowledge as to whether that's an example, but it seems like the kind of thing that could be um, where we're seeing some of this money used. Um, you know, just just for the record, you know, we I mentioned that this kind of thing went on before in the in the Reagan administration. Uh, Chuck Spinney and some other. Uh, whistleblowers inside the department who actually weren't the weren't the whistleblowers who were secret. They went out with their names and you know reported what they were finding. Um, that the Pentagon got caught um, overclaiming what they did was they overclaimed uh, what they thought inflation was going to be when they made their budget requests and put in like a thirty percent. Uh, add-on for estimated inflation in their budget requests. And then when the money wouldn't, when we didn't have 30% inflation, I think it never got higher than maybe 10% during that uh, short period when there was record inflation under uh, early Reagan administration. Um, They pocketed the unspent inflation adjustments and moved it into something called a, um, a merged surplus account. And it apparently grew to be, uh, according to some accounts, as much as 50 to $100 billion. And when Secretary Weinberger was called to the carpet in Congress and asked where the money went, he said, I don't know. <laughs> right? And it kind of disappeared like that. And Spinney says that uh, he and his uh, colleagues think that it, uh, uh, some of it wound up funding Iran-Contra. 
<laughs> that so so you know i mean there's a history of this yeah. and and i would certainly expect that you know things being what they are uh if it worked before they're probably doing the same kind of thing given the uh, totally uh, unaccountable budget documents that they have or or financial uh, documents that they have sure. so I, I what i see here is just an escalator uh, method for jacking their budgets every year, which is what happens with the Pentagon. Well, and, so. and nobody, you know, nobody, Chuck Grassley is the only mm. uh, member of Congress who has really stuck to his guns on holding the Pentagon accountable on this issue of being auditable. And he's been ruthless in criticizing them. He hasn't raised the issue of the plugs but he has uh, he has said, you know, how can it be that after 26 years you can't have an audit? <laughs> the Pentagon can do everything else, you know, make these miraculous weapons that can do all kinds of stuff, and uh, it can't do an audit. He said that's ridiculous, and, and he's uh, he's really angry about it. And but other people should be. I, didn't, yes. I don't see the. I don't see the Democrats coming down on this, and they never have. They've been big supporters. Wow. We have a two-winged uh, two military party, right. basically, running the country, Republicans and Democrats, and they both throw money at the Pentagon. So um, nobody seems to be in a mood to really challenge this. I was sorry that to see... Uh, um, Anastasia Ocasio-Cortez come out with a tweet that misconstrued the article and talked about $21 trillion in secret money that could be funding health care because the article makes it really clear that it's not secret money. It's fake money, yeah. uh, fake numbers. But it, but nonetheless, it, it, there's no question that the whole Pentagon budget is full of money that shouldn't be there because it's been they've been overstating what they need, and we need a wholesale. We what we really need is a wholesale rethinking of the whole Pentagon and its budget because it's totally out of control. Well, people have so many things to focus on. I mean, every day the orange one shines some new shiny object before us, and. People, people haven't looked at our war policy in a very, very long time. Which we, you know, there's wars going all over the place. I wonder. I mean, this article, you know, is a heavy-duty uh, investigation into uh, misuse of hundreds of billions of dollars. And how did the? I guess questions, written questions, were submitted and interviews were uh, requested with senior officials of the Department of Defense. The only response was from a public affairs officer, Christopher Sherwood. Is it safe to assume that the Pentagon is just not concerned about hundreds of billions of dollars disappearing? No, I think they don't. They don't. You know, the only time we've had any concern expressed about this ever was back in 2001 when Donald Rumsfeld came out with a press conference saying that there was his office had discovered 2.3 trillion dollars in untraceable. Uh, financial transactions, and he called it a life and death matter to find out what was going on and said the enemy is not Russia or China, it's the Pentagon bureaucracy. It was the most uh, serious condemnation of Pentagon accounting that I've ever heard, and we've had nothing like that ever since from any uh, defense secretary subsequent to Rumsfeld. But the sad oh. thing is that this came out on September 10th. Oh. It was a big story that night on the 
networks, and it was a big story in the newspapers that were on people's stoops in the morning. But of course, something else happened that morning, and the news changed completely, and Rumsfeld never spoke about it again, and the newspapers dropped the ball on it, too, and never went back to it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, it, it amazes me how many people call themselves conservatives and Democrats, as you've pointed out, uh, don't want to, they're scared to look soft on defense. I mean, there's so much waste. And and now we're talking about actual abuse and, and fake money. I don't know what it could, I mean, how can we wake people up to this and, and say, hey, you know, any company at all. I mean, the IRS would not say, you know, since some major corporation uh, can't complete an audit that, oh, well, then you're okay. You know, th- this is just not okay. How can we wake people up to this, do you think? And do you think, what about the new members of Congress? Well, that's what I was trying to do in this article. We need a public, you know, mass uprising against Congress to demand that this all be investigated. I mean, just imagine if this were, you know, an agency that's a tenth the size or less of the Pentagon, like the Department of Education or Department of Health and Human Services or the EPA or the Labor Department or something that had this kind of epic fraud in its accounting. It would be banner headlines in all the newspapers. It would be, you know, hearings in Congress and everything. But because it's the Pentagon, uh, hell, the the Pentagon audit fail should have been a moon landing size headline on the New York Times and the Washington Post the day it came out last uh, November 15th. And yet uh, it didn't even make the front page. It's just incredible. The Times ran a big, you know, excellent, biting editorial about it. But, uh, you know, who reads editorials? Yeah, well, true. What This must speak to the power. I mean, supposedly, you know, this is government of, by, and for the people. I know it's a very quaint, quaint notion. But the power of the weapons contractors, they must be making out incredibly well. They get $350 billion a year right now. Um, and and a lot of that is for contractor support, which is uh, the overhead they get for the projects they do, like on the, uh, um, the you know, F-35 flying turkey that, um, <laughs> that you know, the, the, is being made by... Uh, uh, Boeing? Uh, what's the what's the company? Uh, Martin. Uh, oh. I'm trying to blank. Lockheed um, Martin. Lockheed Martin. Right. Uh, you know the, the contractor support is about half of that contract, 1.5 trillion dollars. And the penny and the Air Force back in February uh, told Lockheed Martin that they can't tell what's being done with the contractor support money, and it's rising so fast that they may have to cancel. Uh, a third of their order for the jets, which is no big deal to Lockheed Martin because they get uh, the the contracted money, wh- however many planes they make. But it means that the unit cost of the planes would drop, would rise from uh, some something like 115 billion to uh, almost 200 bi- million rather per plane, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it a pretty expensive thing to send into battle. Um, you know, um, so. Uh, the, the contractor support is one of the biggest areas for uh, that yeah. I'm told uh, that are vulnerable to fraud, and we're pumping that money out to uh, to these contractors at a prodigious rate. Prodigious. You know, far more than we spend on on the oh. education department in a year is just going for contractor support. 
And yet we, but we, you know, people complain about welfare queens, you know, stealing fifty bucks or twenty-five bucks, something like that. Well, we have well, um, the welfare, the real welfare queens are the arms industry. Absolutely. Well, we have a new Congress coming in, and I would think they might want to hear from people. So, is there? Uh, is is there a website? I assume there's some kind of website. If people are interested in finding more about this investigation that you guys did, uh, is there a website you can point them to? And I well, ha- site the site actually is, right now is thenation.com, yes. uh, which has the article in full on the on the Pentagon's epic uh, accounting fraud, and people should read that. Um, I will be following up on it on my own site that you mentioned. It's a uh, collectively run journalism site of five journalists uh, called thiscan'tbehappening.net, and it does get picked up regularly on Counterpunch and uh, Nation of Change and other sites. So if you check that site, uh, I will be doing uh, you know updates on it. I don't think the nation has room to you know follow right. the story on a monthly basis, but uh, we'll see. This can't be happening. They'll do follow-ups, too. Uh, But I think, you know, people should act on their own uh, and contact their congresspeople and say, why aren't we getting to the bottom of this? I'm trying to get uh, Beto O'Rourke to comment. He's been Ah. on the House Armed Services Committee, but I haven't gotten a response from his press office yet. Uh I've been trying to get Bernie Sanders to comment on it. Haven't gotten any response from his press office either uh, for two months of trying. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a people. little bit uh, disappointed that you know some of these progressives are not uh, uh-huh. are not really taking the issue seriously, or are maybe afraid to take it on. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ocasio Cortez, sadly, you know, did try to take it on, but. Um, her staff or her didn't really read the whole article before the tweet went out, hmm. which is unfortunate. Well, it's up to us to act. We the people. Imagine that. Thank you so much yeah. for being with us. Very, we'll keep track of it, and it's uh, thiscan'tbehappening.net is the place to uh, follow up. Thank you so much. Yep. Dave Lindor. Thanks for having me on, Bert. Thank you. And we got a song now called Stealing by the Grateful Dead. That's what it's about. Stealing. <laughs> Oh, my 